Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I'm J. Dylan Proctor, and you can follow me at J. Dylan Proctor on Twitter. But here with me in Cord Purgatory is Anthony Alegria. And I am coming to you recorded, draining the entire power grid with my many monitors and other technology. Yes, because one never has too many monitors and this sort of thing. However, we're not alone because joining us on Skype is Tradesman Tyler. Tyler, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm here for two things and two things only. Chewing bubblegum and digging ditches. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, I know. And you've been digging a lot of ditches. I hear you're having a pool and things of that nature. So that's going to be fun. All right. Well, today, this is Podcast 58, and we have a really exciting program for you. The main takeaway from today is we're going to be talking about the Thai boys who were rescued from the cave. And we're also going to be talking about babies who have opioid addictions. In other words, there are children which are born with neonatal abstinence syndrome. And basically, it's children whose mothers were addicted to opioids while they were in the womb and after they're born. These children are heavily affected by this. It's a serious problem in our world, and we're going to talk about that. Every 19 minutes in the U.S., a baby is born addicted to opioids. But let's just begin with this conversation about the Thai boys who were rescued from the cave. This is something a lot of people have been really worried about. It's, it's one of those things where it's a human tragedy that we can all relate to. There's this sort of looming worry that we have as humans about being lost somewhere in nature. And these children, they went in a cave and water rushed in behind them and they got trapped there. Recently, they were rescued. Um, it's a miraculous thing. If you haven't seen the videos of these divers going in to get these kids out, uh, you even see some being brought out on stretchers. It's, it's a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing. But Anthony, would you give us an update on this? I know we've got a CBN article brought up on this. Yes. So here at the beginning of the article, the title is, Crisis is Over. All 12 boys and coach now rescued from flooded Thai cave. Thank you to God. Here's the picture of some of the boys who were saved. Now, during this rescue mission, there was a trained Thai Navy SEAL who did die as a result of what happened, but all 12 of the boys ages 16 to 12, or rather 12 to 16, are generally healthy and in high spirits. There may be a possibility that a couple of them have lung infections, but that's the worst of what they are suffering. So you hear that this, this um, I guess it's the Thai version of the, the Navy SEALs. I'm not sure exactly what their names are, but one of them died going into that situation. Tyler, have you ever spent much time in caves or spelunking, as it's called? Uh, no, I have not. Um, about the only cave I can ever think about going in was the Bell Witch Cave. and that. Oh, yeah. I didn't like going in that really a whole lot either because of all the folklore that goes with it. But uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> I don't. I'm not much in 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 the going into uh, underground compact areas. Well, I tell you what, reason is a divine gift, and the fact that we have the technology to send divers in to get these kids out and to use stretchers and things is absolutely amazing. I mean, praise God that these kids were rescued from this. In my own lifetime, of course, we have a farm. We have some caves on that farm, but. As a high schooler, there was a particular cave near our high school. It wasn't on our farm. It was on someone else's that we used to all go in. And it was actually pretty massive where you would first walk into the cave. It was probably about a 20-foot entrance when you first went into it. And it would have moments where it sort of shrunk, and then it would swell in different places. And there was water that went through it all. It's a pretty, pretty quick stream of water running through it. But there were certainly places where the water would go under rock. And we were always worried that you might get sucked under there or something like that. And after I graduated high school, one of the people I um, 
from the community and the high school I went to actually died in that cave and they couldn't figure out if it was suicide or if it was someone getting sucked under and drowning. They, uh, it was a tragedy that happened there and I don't remember how that, that out, the outcome of that story, but it's one of those things where it can be pretty dangerous getting in caves and yeah, praise God that these kids were gotten, gotten to safety. So um, the story continues that uh, it turns out that one of these Thai uh, young men was a sponsored beneficiary of Compassion, which is a ministry whose motto is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And so this is a video of the mother of that boy thanking um, uh, Compassion and also the, all the rescue workers who came to help in the situation. This video is titled Thai Cave Rescue. Parents say thank you. It is from Compassion Canada on Vimeo. The video we are using was found on CBN News in an article by Benjamin Gill. Thank you so much for all prayers and all the encouragement. Thank you to God. I'm really thankful that they found my son and all 13 are alive. I'm so happy and so thankful to see my son again. Thank you so much to everyone that has been praying for us and the boys and helping us. Thank you. So it's a big praise to God that these kids were out. The final rescue mission involved 19 divers going in there. And again, they had to take oxygen tanks to get the, the kids out along with their soccer coach. Basically what happened is they went into this cave and then heavy rains came and that's what trapped them inside there. So it's a really fascinating thing and we're very grateful that they all were able to come out of there. Though it is, it is tragic that that one seal diver did die in the course of this. All right, so Tyler, do you ever... Uh, take your your girls out. I know you've got two girls. Do y'all ever go out into the to the woods or exploring nature? Uh, not not as much. We probably should. Usually, out on y'all's farm is about as much wooded area as we get to go out on. Yeah, we don't have a whole lot of woods here. Um, no, I, I guess not. Not really. No. I think one of the morals of this tale with the the cave is always be careful to. When you go somewhere, make sure you have a plan where you can get out of somewhere. Uh, it's not good to get oneself cornered with nature. But anyways, we're going to leave it there and we're going to take a break and we'll be back here in a moment. Let's talk about good and evil in our world. A lot of people in our world, they really aren't comfortable saying something is evil, so we have this new crazy off-brand of evil called hate. Which again, there's actually a real thing called hate in the world, but we live in a modern day and age where people use words however they like. They don't really care what definition goes there. The world is all about narratives and language, and if you can control language and narratives, well then you can control how people think. It all gets chaotic really quickly. Well anyways, in the third epistle of John, we get a very interesting verse, and I want us to read just this one particular verse, which is found in the third epistle of John, chapter 1, because there's only one chapter in this epistle, but it's verse 11, and it says the following, Beloved, 
Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And that's from the English Standard Version. Scripture quite clearly warns us not to imitate evil. You get online, you find a lot of people just outraged at everything. You find people who have prefabricated outrage. They're just waiting for the next thing to be mad about. We find examples of this time and time again. And I know we're all pretty much sick of it. So we really don't need to imitate evil, but instead we should imitate good. I have three characteristics of evil I want to present to Tyler and Anthony, and y'all can both give me some feedback for each of these and see if this is something that you see in the world. So the first characteristic of evil that we are not to imitate, but we should be aware of, is the following. Evil knows enough morality to use it against good. For example, you might find terrorists who they set themselves up in schools or maybe a hospital. They strap bombs to children and they send it into civilians or maybe some soldiers because they know that people have a moral structure that says, well, we're not going to shoot the child and therefore... There's really nothing you can do in that situation. They've, they've pulled one over on you. Or currently with the immigration crisis, they know that people are in favor of family structures. So if they can use the umbrella term of, you know, taking care of the poor, taking care of the, the underdog, they can weaponize that and make you go along with whatever. Do you all see this as a characteristic of evil? That evil knows only enough morality to use it as a tool against good. Yeah, I, I believe so. When you're wanting to prance kids out and use them as a scapegoat to pass more Second Amendment uh, infringements, that's another another prime example of using kids. Uh, I do believe that's evil because you're you're lying to them and and setting a false narrative for them to kind of believe in, and then at the same time you're pushing that agenda on the rest of the world when you know that the agenda you're pushing is wrong in the, to begin with. Yeah, I, I believe that's evil. I believe All right. there's some characteristics Just there. Just to get back to put some context to that. But I think a great example of this is with the shooting that happened in Parkland down in Florida. You've seen a lot of high schoolers come out and they wanted to speak about it, which, you know, that's fine. We live in a place where people can speak freely. However, when you enter in the public sphere, having freedom of speech means you have consequences as well. One of the great things about liberty is you own the positive and effect the positive and negative effects of your actions. To have liberty means you have responsibility. If you're going to speak in the public sphere, then you can also be criticized in the public sphere. But what we've seen happen with the high school age activists is they were out in the public sphere and the people who were pushing a particular agenda, they said, oh, well, you can't criticize them. You hate children if you disagree with them at all. You hate them personally if you disagree with them. And it was, it was silly. They, the kids, they came out, they spoke, and then they said, you know, you're going against children if you disagree with anything that these kids say. Anthony, what do you think about morality and evil usually uses morality against good? Um, well, I think that that honestly, it, it does provide us with a really, really good tool to um, realize whenever it's even happening because a lot of, a lot of times that's what makes it so dangerous is just that you know it's hard to notice that morality can be used for something that's bad you yeah. know um, restructuring it and using it in inappropriate ways obviously is going to have bad consequences and um, I also wanted to point out that Tyler's point connecting the um, Second Amendment and the use of children 
was also pretty good because uh, that kind of seems to be a strangely weird, consistent theme. Or not consistent, but recurring. I think that there's been a couple um, progressive movements that really, really strike at kids. Um, so I think that that's... Well, anytime people are trying to take rights away, they always brand it as, well, don't you like this good thing? Well, take away your, your, your rights for that. I'll tell you another 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 good prime example of uh, using morals and and stuff like that is well you don't care about people if you don't want them to have health care well you don't care about society if you don't want everybody to be equal so we're going to introduce more socialism communistic practices and force them on people in which you have to you're forced to pay more taxes you're you're being uh, uh, see, exploited for yeah. your labor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, the I mean, arguments you're, you're, for socialism are very much wrapped up in moral language, which is so ironic because it's so unbelievably immoral. I mean, the, the body count of socialism is just absolutely insane. And when you're off in tens of millions trying to estimate how many people have died directly, not indirectly, but directly as a result of socialistic uh, policies, it's just unbelievable that people try to argue that it's moral. Um, but there's so much evidence for that. We don't have to spend too much time there. You um, I mean, just go look up. Russia killed about 8% of their domestic population engaging in this sort of thing. It's, it's absolutely horrendous. But the next point I want to bring up, which really builds off what I just ended, is that evil hates knowledge and wisdom. It hates people to be informed. But it really likes to imitate education. And you could say that it actually likes to be involved in education, but it it imitates truth. It's not educating people towards something which is actually true. It just educates people towards things which really pretend to be true. And you see this from people emphasizing, you know, you've got to go to college. You've got to go, um, just go to college, even if you don't know what you're doing. I've actually had a change in my own life where I don't recommend people to go to college unless you're going for something which specifically requires it. Don't be the, the freshman who's there and says, well, I don't know what I'm going to study in the end, but I'm here. Don't go to college under those circumstances. Um, but back and to I, the point. I, I really – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask you to – what do you think about evil hating knowledge and wisdom but imitating education? Imitating education. Uh, well, that's a – I'm not sure how to respond to the, the imitating education. Um, can you elaborate just a little bit more on that for me? Okay. Well, Man. a lot of things, even like the socialistic – or the, the socialism – love that we have in our nation, it relies on people being completely ignorant of history and completely ignorant of the 20, 21st century. It, it likes to pretend that people are educated. It says, oh, well, these kids, they went to college. They're educated people and they want socialism. Therefore, it's great. They're closer to truth than you are as a, a lay person who's, you know, doesn't have a college education or something like that. It likes well, to... Um, send out oh, public service announcements saying, you know, income inequality is widening, which sounds like it's information, but what they don't tell you as well is everybody going up or is everybody going down? There's, there's more to it than that. You know, using, um, using the college platform or an, a college education, college educated person to uh, push an agenda. That's like the, um, not trying to bash on doctors, but I believe there was some type of doctor association that, that was pushing for more gun control or pushing some other agenda. And they're like, well, look, these people are 
heavily educated, we got to believe them. They yeah. they know what they're talking about, which yeah. isn't always true. And I, I do want to I want to circumvent back to back to your your uh, statement on college isn't for everybody. It's not. I never knew what I wanted to do in college. I still don't know what I want to do in college. I've looked and I haven't seen anything that impresses me. If you could get college down to like um, uh, a, a trade school uh, length, I think you might see better outcome. I don't necessarily see the reason for a lot of the the um, courses pushed on the students when you're going to, uh, I guess, uh, specialize in a specific field. Why do you need, uh, you know, some art class or, you know, I'm not sure what all is and isn't offered, but it seems like a lot of that's yeah. just a, a money grab. Well, I and, will say uh, this, and I'll agree with your second half that it's a money grab. I think if people are going to university, you should have a massive amount of, of general knowledge. But the thing is, is they send people to these core classes, they're really not learning anything. I know a lot of people who went, some of them got in and out, some of them went clipped out of these classes. They took them. Some people didn't. People really aren't retaining the information. People aren't learning how to be critical thinkers. It really is more like a money grab to make people go through these long programs. And I hate that I'm saying that. And this is something which I've just come to, to realize looking at the world around me. From where I graduated high school, there's a lot of people who went to work at the local water heater factory. And of the people who went there, there's an overwhelming trend where these people, they're married, they have children, and the people who went to university, and I'm even included in this, they're not married, they don't have children, and I'm not resentful, but a lot of the people I went to, to college with, they're extremely resentful about the world. Praise God, I, I, I managed to get through college without debt, but a lot of people don't. Yeah, they, I, was gonna, I was about to touch on that. I, I really believe if, if you can go to college with, uh, with all your, your full ride paid for, yeah, go for it. But I just... It doesn't seem to make sense for a lot of people to go to college and then come out with a bunch of debt and then not have a way to pay for it because of their the career it, that they picked was either very saturated and flooded with a high uh, uh, with a with a lot of uh, labor force out there, yeah. or you know it's just not a high paying career. So yeah, yeah I, I hate to see that for people, but uh, back back to the main point is is that yeah you could they can use the college educated people to push. Uh, morals on people that but it's so interesting because these people. people they're not actually in that they don't have knowledge or wisdom IQ and and wisdom are not the same thing and how much you've been educated doesn't really tell how much wisdom you've obtained either so it's it's a fascinating thing but evil it generally hates knowledge it generally hates wisdom and it's something where again a lot of the nonsense we see in our culture really comes from people being ignorant of history and things of that nature. But the third thing I want to bring up about evil is that evil hates personal responsibility. And before Tyler says anything, Anthony looks like he's going to explode. Anthony, do you have any <laughs> thoughts on evil right now? Well, I did. Um, so recently, I've been thinking a lot about the fool. And this is getting back to your second point. And this is just to kind of give us a tool for thought. But um, And the second point is that evil hates knowledge and wisdom, but it likes to pretend that it's educated. It likes to imitate education. Yeah, and all of that, all that I see highly related to the fool. I used to think just weeks ago and, you know, prior that the fool was just someone, you know, when you think of foolish things, I don't necessarily think of someone who's actively going against 
the knowledge that they already have. I think uh, when I think of a fool, I think of someone who's ignorant, you know, but a lot of times, and especially um, whenever you think about like this, a lot of the stuff in the Bible can really, really align with um, reality also. But the fool is the one who goes against the knowledge that they have available to them. You know, they know these uh, trends of reality. And yet, even though they're aware of those trends, they'll choose to go against it for whatever impulsive desire, or maybe not even an impulsive desire, maybe some sort of long drawn out fantasy that's been there for a long time. But the fool is the one who actively goes against the knowledge. And um, I think that evil preys on the fool. And just like you're saying, evil hates wisdom and it imitates education. I, I want to touch back on Anthony said uh, that a fool like disregards the knowledge that they have. Well, I, I'm hoping this is relatable, but I I seen a meme yesterday from somebody we know posting two people's pictures and said, well, this guy here is only 29 and he's going bald due to hate and racism. And this other guy is almost 50 and he's still got a full head of hair. And I, I, I did. I commented back. I stooped down her level. I did comment back, but I wanted to know, did she even take genetics into play? Or the fact that the other guy's a movie star and he has to keep up his physical outward appearance. And, yeah. and I got the, the reaction I got was, well, this other guy's just trash. Well, no. Why don't you, you're disregarding any from any knowledge you could have about this guy and just, just name calling. And I feel like that's induced by the media, which to me it's, is pretty it's evil. shallow thinking. Look. And there may be some terrible people out there, but the reality is, is to say, oh, this person's awful. Look at their, their hairline. And look, this person's uglier than that person. Therefore, their politics must be bad. It's, I think it's, I'm a pretty good it's guy. It's nonsense. <laughs> it's, it's absolute nonsense. Uh, That's good, Tyler. <laughs> I, I hope I'm a good person. I mean, y'all don't think bad of me because I'm receding. Oh, I know. That's that's the sign <laughs> that your soul's rotten, man. <laughs> All right, well, I think we're ready for point number three. All right, yes. Point number three, evil hates personal responsibility. It likes mobs. It doesn't like personal responsibility. I think that pretty much sums it up. It, <laughs> There's not that, much to that, it. It does. Uh, that's a, we have talked about that several times, and that you got to be able to take care of yourself. I've said it many times on my own videos. I've said it to many people. Um, you know, again, I live out in the middle of nowhere, as does Dylan. Um, you've got to be able to protect yourself. You know, that comes back to personal responsibility of protection. Um, the way I like to protect myself and my family is through firearms, but yet the mob wants to take them away. So how am I supposed to be, be able to be responsible for my own protection? I know I kind of went off on a little tangent right there, but that is something I have to do for myself. I live in the middle of nowhere. I'm 20, 30 minutes away from any police precinct. You know, that's something I've got to do. I had to yeah. go out here. Um, I'm an electrician, as y'all know. Uh, I, I bought a pool for the kids. I went ahead. I dug the ditch. I ran all the electrical. I'm waiting on them to put the pool in so I can finish up. That was a responsibility I had to do because I didn't want to, I didn't see the need to pay somebody to do it as I'm an electrician. So uh, the responsibility thing is, is huge. You've got to be able to take care of your own self. Why would you want to depend on somebody else? Right. And really, when I think of responsibility, I think it, of it as owning the cause and effects in your life. If you do something bad, and again, Christian teaching is that we are moral beings. Christ calls us to holiness. Christ calls us to be born again. 
But we are moral beings, and our will, whether we accept Christ's testimony or not, plays a big role. Yes, I know there are theologies out there that say, oh, it doesn't matter, it's all predestined. All of that really falls apart if you spend any time in critical thinking. But we are people of free will. We're people of moral agency, which means we can make decisions. Some are good, some are bad. One of the best things about liberty is that when you have liberty and freedom, that means that you own the failures in your life and you own the successes in your life. And one of the things I have learned in, in my years, and I'm, I'm still a young man, is that if you want success, you've got to own a lot of failures first. And that's basically how it is. You've got to own up to it and own them and move past them. You don't say, oh, well, I'm weak and just wallow in it, but just power through it. Realize that suffering's intrinsic to life. Be, be responsible. But evil hates that. It knows it can manipulate people. It can say, oh, we'll, we'll give you free things. Um, we'll take away your personal responsibility, but we'll give you this. Give you yeah, the um, one thing that I think is interesting, we've gone so far down the um, no responsibility road in our culture that we have to remind people to be responsible for themselves. Yeah. Think about how crazy that is, that you have to remind people that they should try to maintain some sort of independence for their own well-being. Now, that being said, um, we've talked about this on the show before, but, you know, a lot of Christian responsibility also applies to, you know, what you can do to better the world as well. Yeah. And I like that thought of personal responsibility a lot because that's kind of the conviction that I've had and I know that I've seen other people have. And... Um, well, it's similarly it's to an ancient call of the people of God. God blesses you, you bless others, the whole earth is blessed. Yep. Well, we've got to wrap up this segment. We've got more content to get through, so we'll, we'll wrap this up. We'll be back after a break. One of the things people are very upset about in our current day and age is the Supreme Court. And this is actually one of the many reasons in the 2016 election that people voted the way they did is they, they realized that Supreme Court nominations and people who are placed on the Supreme Court have a lot of power. In fact, some people think the Supreme Court is the most powerful branch and institution in our nation. And that's a bit of a problem. And when we look at people in our culture and we see people being really upset, they say, oh no, President Trump, he's elected a, another person to the Supreme Court. People get really upset about this or they get really excited. But the reality is we have given way too much power to certain institutions. And this is something which we really have to get back to in terms of our starting points of thought. Our rights do not come from government, but they come from God. There is a lot of people in our modern world, a lot of really secular people who say, oh, you think you had those rights before the government? Well, actually, if you look at the history of our nation, the answer is yes. And it's historical nonsense to pretend otherwise. It is literally nonsense to make the argument that our nation was founded on something other than divine providence of law. Our nation was quite clearly founded with this sort of philosophy that says our rights come from God. Our government does not give us our rights. And I want us to talk about this with Tyler a little bit. Again, it's an atheistic assumption of our world to think that rights come from the institu institutions of our world. Um, institutions are derived from people, and our nation was founded on this philosophy that says our rights are derived from God. Anthony, yeah, can you I, I read will, well, just actually, a bit? Before that, um, I will say that 
to anyone who would disagree because we are just saying that it is nonsense to justify that please read any excerpt from just about anything from the founding fathers produced for um the foundation of this nation just read it read the introduction read the conclusion there is going to be a lot of christian language there all right so well let's read some of it now um anthony would you read from the opening of the declaration of independence this is the unanimous declaration of the 13 united states of america when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and the nature of and the nature and of nature's god entitle them a decent respect to the opinions of mankind require that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with a certain unalienable rights that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed okay couple of things real quick to throw out there and then we're going to debunk some myths about the founding fathers and stuff so first off they say the law of nature and god's entitlement of putting that there in other words god entitled the laws of nature the laws of nature the order of the world is derived from god explicitly said there it's not like it's hinted there it is explicitly said and then it goes along to say we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights in other words it wasn't who was placed on the supreme court that gave people rights because a lot of people are sending out stuff in this current year of 2018 they say oh people are taking away the rights if the wrong person gets on there it's going to be the end of us all it's going to be the death of us all no our founding fathers never intended for the supreme court to have that much power because the governments as explicitly stated here the government was only there to protect the rights which came from god and if you are worried that the supreme court has the power to take away your rights then you are living under a place that has some element of tyranny the supreme court has gotten too big I think a lot of that is, is that uh, the people have replaced God or whichever God they, they were believing in with government. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and when you do that, of course, you're going to fear anything that the Supreme Court does. But yeah, that, yeah. I, I do believe that they have become a little too powerful. Um, it seems like they like to step on and infringe every right that's on that Constitution. Yep. I, I would, man, I, I would hate to say it, but... I believe in our lifetime we'll probably see something happen along the lines of a limitation of freedom of speech and there might be some absorption of some di- diminishing the excuse me guys i'm sorry diminishing some more uh huh diminishing <laughs> d- diminishing uh uh i guess uh of values liberty. of the second amendment uh, yeah. second amendment it, it, they only want the the amendments that apply to the governments they don't really care about yeah our, what's interesting is the most of the people who want rights to go away they're in favor of them when they work to their favor yeah yep i um i got into a debate with somebody uh i hate to say this again i hate to say that i stooped to these people's levels but i believe that conversation is the only way to fix things um on facebook and i, I quoted that you know the right to uh, self-preservation through firearms was given to me by my creator 
And their comments were, oh, you think God gave you those rights? You think God did that for you? You believe, you believe in a God? Well, yeah, I do. Well, I do believe that those rights were In response were given to, to me. that, if they read if they, any of our nation's I, history, it I, is... It I is took the, an excerpt of, yeah. the, of the Declaration of Independence and, and other information, other documents, and I posted it. And they, they, it, I guess it shut them down. I didn't really get much of a, a rebuttal, but... It is in there, like you said, just like Anthony yep. read. It's in there. Yeah. Well, let me go back to some of the myths that people have out there about the Declaration of Independence and the founding fathers and mothers of our nation. They say, oh, well, this was just white men protecting their stuff. No, that's also historical nonsense because most of these people realized that they were going up against the most powerful army in the world. They would probably be taken to the gallows if things went wrong. And many of these people, they lost all of their wealth in doing this. It, it was not just about people protecting their wealth because most of them knew going into it they were going to lose everything. And, and for a lot of them, they did lose everything, if not their lives included. So it's, it's historical nonsense. If you go back and read the history, these people, they did not go into this thinking this was protecting their own possessions. They went into it thinking it was the, the giving up of their own protections so that there could be future freedoms for a new nation. Another thing that's totally mythological about this is they say, oh, well, slavery was still a thing, and they wanted that they wanted this statement in there about people being created equal, but yet there's still slavery, therefore we can just throw out this whole document. Absolutely nonsense. Nonsensical to, to make that claim because, again, by the time that this was drafted, they actually wanted to put in there something about the, the abolishing of slavery in the documents that they were putting together at this time. However, there were just a few people who were, um, I believe it was from South Carolina and Georgia, maybe. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but there was two states in the South, or two colonies at the time, who were opposed to that. And that's what held that up from happening for a while. But there were people there, as the nation was founding, that wanted to end slavery at that point. They knew that they were giving up everything. They wanted to end slavery. They wanted to have equal rights for all of humanity that was there living in their nation, but... Again, it took a while to get there. The philosophy was correct. The people who want to throw away the philosophy, they're ignorant of history. And I hate to say that because I love people. And But we've got to just break the truth here. If you understand history, it, it doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, that, that philosophy has undeniably produced one of the greatest nations in history. So Yeah. Well, before we wrap up this segment, I'm going to present you all with four rules for engaging people online because I think this is a good place for us to talk about this and y'all can tell me um, for time purposes I'll just let y'all say if you agree or disagree with this um, so I have basically a four-point um, policy on dealing with people online because we've got to deal with the outrage in our world so this may be online it may just be in your your personal life so the starting place is when we deal with the mob and our culture and the outrage point one have solid moral architecture in your life. That may sound weird as the first point, but have a good moral foundation and moral architecture in your life. What do y'all think? Is that a good starting point? I believe so. I agree. Anthony? Yeah, I mean, I hope if you're convincing people that you'll be convincing them to something that is good. All right, so we'll get into the argumentation segment next. But first, start with moral architecture. Point two, don't be afraid to confront people. Again, a lot of these people, they've never had any social pushback. They've never had anybody come along to correct them. So they just throw out nonsense and they think that that's how everyone else thinks that it's not true. Don't be afraid to stand up for things which are correct. 
And what this means is don't take people's assumptions. For instance, Tyler was talking about the, the guy who was, I don't, it was male pattern baldness and maybe some other elements. And they're like, oh, well, he's, he's an ugly dude. Therefore, he's got to have a rotten soul and be a racist. Don't even start from their assumptions. When people have the assumptions that are just terrible, like your rights come from government, your rights don't come from God, they have won by default if you work from their assumptions. So don't be afraid to engage people, but don't use their assumptions. What do y'all think about that? Agree. Agreed. All right. And the third point, which is also selected to the fourth point, um, the third point is be choosy about who you interact with. I have a rule that says interact with people who you care about at arm's length. And yes, we should care about everyone. But when I say arm's length, I mean someone that you actually have interacted with at least face-to-face. -face. So it's not just someone that you've met online. It's not just a troll from another part of the world that could as well be a robot for all you know. But actually someone who you, you have some sort of arm's length care to. In other words, you've met them in life. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone you went to school with. But engage people who are arm's length. What do you all think about that? Yeah, I think you have a better chance of swaying somebody's opinion if you kind of know them. So yeah. I, I can agree to that. Anthony? Um, I would say I agree, but I would add a couple other groups probably. One of them would be um, people who are confronting people you care about. Because, like, you know, sometimes I'll see yeah. somebody post something and then somebody else will come confront them with some, um, let's just call it loose ideology. And then, you know, when I see that, I don't want them to become discouraged by something that is barely halfway thought out. Yeah. So then I go and I'll confront that. And then um, as long as I know them and I think that we're on some sort of friendly terms, most of the time I'll, I'll approach them as well. But other okay. than that, I completely agree. Good deal. Um, so the fourth point is, is be choosy and don't be afraid to walk away. Sometimes there's no winning in an argument, and if you stay in the battle too long, they're going to win because you're working with their assumptions. So if people, they're being nonsensical, just walk away. Say, we're not going to give this the, the time of day. That's not censorship. That's not saying that you're not letting them have an argument, and that's not saying that you're, you're allowing them to win, but you're recognizing, and even Jesus, when he sends out his disciples, he says, if people don't hear you, shake the sand off of your sandals and walk away. So what do y'all think about that? Don't be afraid to walk away. I can agree to that. Anthony? Well, um, Tyler looked like he wanted to add something. I was just going to say, you, you may not win that battle, but, you know, the war, you know, kind of carries on. So there's another day you could come back and try to sway an opinion on a different subject. Well, again, a lot of these people, they function like they're in a cult. And they're not even interested in reason. They're not won over by reason. So, Well, it is the secular religion. It is. Well, but, I think um, it's more than that. I think it's it's a it's a it's an interesting way that people think in this. It is akin to the cult mentality, and that's a time for another topic for another day. The um, I would hold up. Let me think. I agree. The uh, oh yeah, but for the two reasons I would give to walk away would be firstly to maintain connections with them. But there's also, you know, your own well-being. And sometimes, you know, just being in there duking it out with somebody over and over 
and you know again the fool the one who purposely goes against knowledge it's not worth it for you yeah so to wrap that up start with a solid moral architecture don't be afraid to engage people just don't but at the same time be choosy about how you do it engage people who you have some sort of arm's length care with and then you know don't accept their assumptions but be willing to walk away all right well we'll wrap that up and we'll be back here in a moment to talk about another topic topics we're going to be discussing a lot here at Kingdom of the Logos is the opioid crisis going on in our world. Opioids are something which can cause a lot of havoc for the people that have that addiction going on in their life. Today I want us to talk a little bit about babies who have opioid addiction. In fact, babies that are born with it. There's such a thing called NAS or neonatal abstinence syndrome. And this is babies who are born and their mothers were addicted to opioids, and now the babies, as a result of that, they're born with an opioid addiction. Now, they've done a few studies on this. The studies, again, they're not up to the current year because it takes a long time to compile this, and by the time it gets published, there's usually a gap. But one particular study that was started in 2000 and ran to 2012 found that there was about one baby born with NAS, the opioid addiction, every 25 minutes. And there was another study that went all the way up to 2014, and that number had dropped down to about 19 minutes in that study. So what we find is that this is a real problem in our world. It happens quite frequently that children are born with this, and it's absolutely terrible. Anthony, would you share a little bit of information with us about this opioid addiction with with infant children? Okay, so um, you already covered that not exactly currently, but very close to... Um, being up to date that every 19 minutes an opioid addicted baby is born and that's just in the US by the way so um, that's a very very concentrated amount and then in addition to that the um, overdose overdose deaths have quadrupled in a 15 year span and that ended in 2014 so, so over the course of that that 15 years the overdose deaths from opioids quadrupled, which is ridiculous. And in addition to that, for um, babies that are addicted to opioids, opioid-induced NAS, uh, the symptoms include high-pitched cries, jitteriness, tremors, convulsions, fever, sweating, vomiting, diarrhea, molting, difficulty sleeping, loss of appetite, and dehydration. So, Wow. One of the things which is interesting, we've had people ask us to discuss the opioid crisis, and we're going to have some more interviews on that in the future. But just about everyone that I've talked to recently has someone in their sort of extended circle, if not someone in their immediate circle, who has dealt with some sort of opioid problem. Tyler, what are your thoughts on all of this? Man, it's it's terrible to hear that about those babies. Um, I don't wish that on any child ever. I, I, I wish we could get a control on that. Uh, with our society, but um, I just I don't know what we could do. I don't know if any more legislation or government could really fix it. I'm not saying it wouldn't help, but it it seems like most of government programs don't really solve a whole lot. But that's a topic for another day. Um, I can't speak speak so much on the child portion, but I can say from my personal experience, it is a 
it's a very tragic, devastating experience to have to grow up with. Um, it's scary. I, I hated it. Uh, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail, but I just say it's it's something that no child should ever have to deal with, and it's no it's something that that a parent uh, with children should never have to deal with. Well, you're uh, speaking as in relation to right now at, to a child who has. Or you're speaking in the context of a child who has a parent with opioid addiction. Am I correct? Yeah, I'm. I'm speaking. I'm speaking as being the child with a parent that has that has had that uh, addiction, and I'm speaking as the parent of a child that has a grandparent with that issue with that problem. And it, it's something that you should never have to explain to your kids, and it's something that you should never have to live with as a child. Um, it's it's. Uh, and it's it's terrible. I hate it. I was embarrassed all the time. I was scared. You know, I, it was it was pretty nasty. Yeah, it's it's certainly something which is nasty. And whenever people ask, well, where is God in these terrible situations? If we actually believe we're the body of Christ, we're to gather around people who are in these awful situations. And I think Tyler's exactly right when he says legislation is not going to fix this. What we need to do is we've got to, to reach people in these scenarios. A lot of people do have shame in situations like this. And I know we started talking about infants, but let's move on a little bit to talk about the, the opioids. In the church, there is no condemnation in Christ. And I actually think it's good that we as a culture still have some elements of shame because that shows that people recognize there's a, an alternative lifestyle that they should be um, moving towards. There's, there's something different than what they're currently in. We need to, to get people in a place where they can really separate this from their life because it's really nasty um, what people go through to try to get away from the opioids. But I do encourage anyone struggling with this, or if they know someone struggling with this, to get involved in a church. Get yourself surrounded by people who can support. It's not actually the easiest thing in the world to go and say, I'm addicted to this. I need to be admitted to a facility where I don't have access to these things. It's, it can be a little bit difficult to do that. But getting a support group around you is very important, and getting the, the crop, proper counseling and the proper community around you is so critical to getting out of that. And especially for these children, basically all that can be done is they, they kind of have to suffer through the withdrawals to, to get to a better place. It's really terrible. It's tragic. I'd, I'd like to interject a little bit and go back to, I guess, my pers personal experience, if that's okay. A um, couple things. Uh, you were talking about you know trying to find a way for the people to, to get help and, and everything else and to change the shame shame works to an extent but it only works is if the whole family structure everybody I mean extended family aunts uncles relatives can 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 force that on the person the the shame that they're doing wrong and that they would like to see a change in their the behavior um, because then it's just it comes back to just you being the only one kind of being the shameful one yeah um, I have not seen that work in my my uh, my experiences. Um, I haven't really seen a whole lot that that will work. It, it all comes back to the person and and whether they want that change in their life or not. Yeah. Um, the other thing too, the way I worked through it myself was, uh, well, when I was younger, I, I couldn't really escape from it. But once I became a teenager and I could go skateboard. I stayed outside all day. Yeah. Uh, once I could start working, I worked all the time. I, I went to work. I went to school. I went to work. I went to school. And then uh, once I started driving and started dating, I just stayed out of the house as much as I could. And then uh, 
later in high school I met my met my wife and and she really helped me kind of get through it and see that I wasn't wrong and that I was actually more so in the right than I ever knew so um it, it there's a lot of motiv- motivation there for for myself to get out and and uh, uh obtain a life for my own and and it motivated me to do well in life but I I took it and I made something positive as where a lot of people actually fall into a negative situation uh, coming out of that. Well, praise the Lord, you were able to find something positive in the midst of that and, and produce a better outcome. Back to one of your, your points earlier, whenever someone has something antisocial in their life, and antisocial doesn't mean shy, by the way, it doesn't mean reclusive, it means something which is against the, the sort of proper human condition. Whenever people are doing something antisocial like a opioid, if they st- if their entire structure in their world is not changed, it's almost impossible to get out of that. It's, for instance, if someone, you know, they, they go to jail for a while, they're involved in some crime, may or may not be drug related, but if you go, if you're around people who are a bad influence, you go to jail, you come back, you may have perfect intentions to live a better life, but if your circumstances are there, you, in other words, you still have those peer group influences, which lead you to do something antisocial, you'll fall back into it. If you're someone who still has access or the ability to get in drugs or something like that, a lot of times you'll fall back into it. Without an entire environmental change with a, a healthy group around you, it's almost impossible to escape from stuff like this. But we'll have to, for time purposes, wrap things up there. Uh, thank you for joining us, Tyler. I know you've got to run. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And can you give a plug for your program real quick before you go? Yep. Uh, Dark Horse Garage on YouTube. Uh, I actually, I've been uh, documenting my pool installation as far as the electrical progress goes. And uh, I'm going to try to give some information in on that, uh, some voiceovers during the, during the process. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us, Tyler. Thank you much. Bye.